we are here at the PPA Festival in Tobacco Dock in East London. There's an exciting boat sitting outside in a dry dock. And it's the PPA Festival is the meeting of uh, magazine media in the UK. It's a great event, and here today is Sue Todd, who's CEO of Magnetic, which is the trade body for the magazine industry. Hello. Douglas McCabe, who's the CEO of Enders Analysis, which analyzes the media business. Hello. And Claire Beale, Global Editor-in-Chief of Campaign. I'm Gideon Spania, I'm the Global Head of Media Campaign, and uh, Claire and I have reverse roles, because Claire's normally running the newscast, but today, uh, Claire's been so busy on stage, uh, I'm going to do the moderating duties. I'm really enjoying this idea of just being able to sit back and chip in, instead of worrying about orchestrating so but bad luck we're going to start Claire by asking what's been going on here uh, with your journalist hat on uh, tell us a little bit about what the sort of the state of the magazine nation is well the day kicked off with a, um, a sort of rousing piece by Andrew Vidler from Centaur um, about how our industry needs to get its mojo back and whilst I don't think we've we've lost our mojo in the sense that we're all doom and gloom we might as well go home I think it's a really good moment to remind ourselves of all the progress we have made through the difficult challenges of digital disruption. And as an industry, we are now in far better place than many, many other industries that we're, we're dealing with mm. um, in terms of having done the transformation. So we are incredibly well poised to, to push forward in a really confident way now. So I like that, that idea of mojo being a, a sort of theme for the day. Good. And um, two, I was struck with what Andrea was talking about, things like uh, large-scale events and training are now like majority part of Centaur's revenue. Mm. Obviously, they're a largely B2B publisher. When you think about what are the big trends, we've been hearing a lot about customers, not just readers. Yeah. Tell us a bit about what you see. Yeah, I mean, I think it was interesting that Andrew was the kickoff, who is obviously largely running a, a B2B business, because actually some of the themes from the B2B part of the industry, which I think they have grappled with for maybe longer than the consumer side of the business, i.e. diversification um, and converting readers and users into customers, is, it was what struck me was that later on on the consumer panel that Claire ran with the CEOs from the consumer side, there were very similar topics. So it feels like you know, the theme of this is all together now, and it feels like B2B and the consumer have actually got very similar um, dynamics going on in terms of the way they're diversifying. Print and uh, publishing still being core, but how they're leveraging the value in those relationships to turn those readers and users into customers, which I think Tom Bureau from Media and also Rob Monroe from Bauer, everybody on that consumer panel also talked about. So there was a real convergence, I think, which I think three years ago you heard B2B publishers talk about that more than consumer publishers. It feels like this kind of a coming together and a realisation that there's, there's real value in those relationships that can be leveraged beyond just the ad model. Yeah. So, Douglas, you obviously track the whole of the media industry and you track what's happening with the tech platforms and so on. And to Sue's point, we know that a lot of money, in advertising money, has obviously just shifted into mm. Google and Facebook. In terms of the trends that you see, how, how would you describe the state of the magazine nation? Well, at a macro level, the thing you've got to most worry about is no one's interested in the magazine sector. And the good news is there's private equity coming into the market. They've just bought um, Time Inc. Um, Dennis is, 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 if you like, in play. You know, there's, there's interest in the sector that perhaps hasn't been there for some time. And I think this point about the industry having confidence 
and also collaborating perhaps on some of the key questions, both from an advertising perspective, but also in the learnings that you can take from, from things like data. So bringing it back to the, the point that Andrew Vidler opened, opened the event, I think that is very interesting because the B2C, the consumer space, needs to learn how to use data and it needs to learn how to think about community and it needs to learn how to think about you know, audiences in a way that perhaps for many decades it hasn't really had to worry about because the money was just kind of flowing in. So we are going through a period of very, very extraordinary change, but I think the investment community is starting to see something that makes the, the, make, makes the industry feel very exciting. Now, um, you and Sue were on stage together where you were talking about some research that Enders has been doing uh, called Passion Pays. Do you want to explain a little bit about that? Because there's some really fascinating insights about our passion as consumers uh, of media mm. and how what you've identified. So there's a, there's a simple kind of hypothesis, if you like, behind this, uh, behind this kind of whole research stream. So the, the, the simple idea is that you can think about um, all activities, all consumer activities, all, all consumer expenditure in two, in two different buckets. One is around things that really mean something to me personally, my identity, the things I'm passionate about, um, which can be partly to do with work, but are really about what you do at the weekend, what do you do in the evenings, what really kind of thrills you, and all the other stuff that you do. Um, and what you, uh, what you see when you look at the data behind this is that a lot more expenditure is going into the passion side of our lives than was the case in, in, in the past. There's great growth there, and there is great growth in the proportion of expenditure that's, that, that, that's going into these categories. Now, all of that is, and of itself, really, really interesting, but you have, you, when you then relate that to how, if you like, marketing works, a really kind of very important point indeed starts to emerge. So targeting has become the kind of real buzzword of the, of the, of the uh, marketing industry as we know. But what targeting really means for most people is identifying one person at a time uh, on the basis of whatever knowledge has been picked up while they've been on Facebook or as they've, as, they've, as, as they've browsed the web. However, the reality is we're much more kind of switched on and, and responsive to messages when we are engaged in something that we really enjoy doing and are really passionate about, those identity and passion um, um, activities that I was describing earlier. And that's a whole different kind of targeting. And all the evidence that we've gathered so far suggests that that kind of marketing in that kind of environment works really well, but there's a huge gap between uh, uh, what the marketing industry as a whole is doing and what it could be doing if you follow the, if you follow the money, as it were, in terms, of, uh, in terms of consumer spend. So from what I understood, if you're talking about might have a passion for food or home yep. improvements or motoring, then you track that actually... Uh, household expenditure on these kind of passions yep. has gone up at a time where it's been flatlining as a basically essentially people's household income rough very roughly and and i think yep. I, you saw a figure that you use of 60 pounds a week people spend on their passions or per household seemed amazing uh tell us what does what does that signal and what if anything does magazine media do to help advertisers well it, it it tells you that the proportion of spend you know from the average household that is going into you know identity related or passion activities 
is going up really significantly. So if you look at total, total household spend, as you say, it's gone up about 60, 60 pounds a week. Another way of cutting that data is to say that 90% of growth in household expenditure uh, over the last five years has been in passion. Um, in passion areas. That's huge. I mean, that's, like, that's way kind of disproportionate to what we were expecting, uh, expecting to find. Now, all media uh, represents uh, a, an opportunity for, um, uh, for, for targeting to, to ident identity at some level or another, um, even outdoor media or, 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 or whatever. But magazines is the most, as a medium, is the most extreme example of, a of, of the consumer being in a perfect place uh, in terms of engaging with, with their passions. They have, they've either purchased that magazine or they're using that website for a very, very specific reason. It is because they really, they really enjoy this subject, they really enjoy this topic. And so the media brand with, with the advertising brands have a real opportunity to kind of really you know, drive uh, engagement at a whole different level. It relates to, there was a really interesting session earlier um, where there's a guy called Matt Kelly who's editor of the New European and he works for Argent and he was talking about community and the roles that brands can play in, in bringing people together. So whether that's about um, passion in terms of specialist interest titles or literally the community in which you live and Argent has a lot of mm. titles. He was talking about a place called Chroma in Norfolk where they produce four um, magazine brands and they have much less engagement and traction with the commuting chroma which is only a few thousand people on Facebook which is kind of not surprising but in all the talk of the monolithic dominance of, of some of the digital players when you start to break those relationships down to community levels and as publishers work out how you can tackle it on a, on a local basis and the way they've approached it really interesting they've started to look at literally their their interactions on the ground in Chroma with their audience. So they now measure their engagement in terms of things like their dialogue, their, their literal dialogue with local businesses, the footfall into their offices, not just what they're sending out through their media brands. And it's this idea of looking at community in a way that is very multi-layered um, and really um, the role that you can play at the heart of that in a way that many, many other much bigger brands or platforms simply can't begin to, to deliver. And I think, I think that's why these topics are related, actually, because if, if you think about the panel, um, that was the CEO panel, where we were talking about and Andrea's opening address when she talked about the conversion from readers into consumers, into customers, that's because they're able to leverage that community relationship and the strength of what they're interested in. Yeah. I think the interesting thing that Douglas's work's thrown up is the missed opportunity it represents for advertisers. So I think publishers are realising the opportunity by converting and diversifying and opening the value that the consumer has with the magazine brand in different ways, whether it was Argent or Immediate or Time Inc. But I think, you know, advertisers, you know, who want to be aligned to what people are interested in, anyone from O2 and their alignment to rugby and music, um, to a plethora of other advertisers, are missing an opportunity that comes to the fact that, you know, as Douglas says, lots of media provide content that taps into those passions experience, but magazines probably do it better than anyone. So an interesting thing which has uh, happened over the last uh, year or even two years is that the magazine industry has come together with the newspaper industry to try and provide better data and uh, there's an you've set up an organization called PAMCO which uh, essentially has provided a single audience figure across online mobile and print yeah 
Sue, tell us a little bit about that because it came up in some of the sessions about understanding the reach of, a, say, a food magazine, food magazine brand, and so on. Tell, tell us about Pamco and what, what it's, why it's important. I mean, Pamco is important on lots of levels. I mean, it's important because in, in an era where we all want to trust what is happening in terms of data and evidence of how audiences are behaving, we really needed a transparent, world-class currency, and that's what newspaper industry and magazines have come together with the IPA to deliver. Um, so for the first time ever, for multiple brands, we're able to look at the, consumer, the reader's behaviour, the user's behaviour across all the platforms, as you outlined. So that means we're able to have a total brand reach figure for, in magazines' case, about you know 90-odd brands, which with NRS we have 15. And in the case of news brands, they're able to look at daily reach now. So there's, so there's some real changes in terms of just the the volume of inventory and um, behaviour that we're able to look at through PAMCO. So we can look at that on a macro level, or obviously on a demographic level, but then on a sector level, which is where some of the analysis that you saw on the panels today came from. It allows us to deep dive and look at how food and all the food sector are performing across multiple platforms, multiple demographics, but also to look at what the engagement is like with those brands and with those sectors. Because uh, there's trust metrics and there's time well spent metrics on PAMCO which allow us to look at maybe the why to some of the growth patterns that we're seeing at a macro level. Yeah, and it's really interesting to think that, I think on home improvement, there's about 11 million people in the UK who've got this passion, food about 14 million. Yeah, uh, I'm yeah. surprised it's not 56 million. <laughs> uh, it's really interesting to think, what does that mean? Because we all know that you're sooner gonna trust, I believe, uh, magazine type brand which has done the research and you're confident about and knows that provenance of food or whatever. Yeah I mean what um, PAMCO is is the enabler sorry it's the mm. you know it's it, we only have the data for a matter of weeks although it's obviously been years in the planning and I think what it underpins a lot of the conversations we've heard today because it is the how to lots of these ideas about what it is that magazine offers advertisers an opportunity. So it's early days, but obviously what we'd hope to see is, you know, is to be talking to planners and them thinking about how they can plan things differently now when it comes to thinking about what magazine and news brands can offer. Because um, there's a huge opportunity in terms of, you know, as I say, planning daily, planning on high frequency, deduping across platforms, and building reach and frequency for campaigns that we were never able to do before. Um, a theme that often comes up at these events is, is trust. And also this sense that uh, and a lot of advertisers follow each other. Douglas mentioned it, I think. And a year ago, your research was really interesting on the role of brand building. Essentially, that marketers and brands were at risk of uh, spending so much money on direct response and uh, just things to drive a sale. They were forgetting about the importance of brand building. Has, and, and in the last year, it came up when Claire was talking to Chuka Umuna, um, the Labour MP, We've had Cambridge Analytica and lots of other issues where people are not necessarily able to trust a lot of digital media. Douglas, do you see uh, evidence of a tech clash changing the way marketers are thinking? And uh, if anything, come the, whether it's PAMCO or anything else, uh, a, a new uh, appreciation of what might be called brand building media? I think we're definitely entering that, like around now, we're entering a phase where you feel like um, all of this is up for grabs again because we've been through a very intense period where advertisers have essentially chased each other. They've followed each other around different, um, around different, uh, across different patterns, if you like. And the most recent one just being the enormous amount of advertising that's gone, uh, gone, in, gone into Facebook and Facebook video in particular. But with limited evidence that it really works for their brand. 
right? There may be some evidence that some of this works in some circumstances, okay? But that's, that's a very different point from, does it work from my brand and brand building? And I think that's, that's the kind of key issue. In other words, we're returning to a period, I think, now, where brands are, are, are asking the big question about what they should be doing uniquely for them. And it's a really, really important, uh, a really important kind of phase this. And of course, it's partly to do with the fact that the agencies are also under such intense pressure. And you were talking about trust, and there is a big trust issue between the advertising industry, as in CMOs, people who run big brands, and, 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 the, and, and, and the agency people. But this is going to be ultimately a very important question for the big platforms, for the Facebooks, the Googles, and beyond. Because for them, the tripwire here is not uh, is not their ability to generate money from advertising. They've demonstrated they can do this brilliantly. There's no kind of real, real issue, and I, I see no reason why they will not continue to, to, to drive lots and lots of advertising, advertising bucks. But if trust transfers to consumers themselves, then of course there are real questions that start to change, change the nature of the game. And that is the potential tripwire for the platforms. It's not, it's not, the, it's not the kind of commercial marketplace itself. And Sue, I know you've looked at the trust element in terms of what brands are then talking to their agencies about in terms of what they're looking for. Yeah. Uh, tell us what you've seen in terms of changes in trust, perceptions of trust. Since we were here this time last year, we've done a piece of work with Mediacom um, around trust called The Matter of Trust, where um, they both investigated what current perceptions amongst clients and planners were of which media channels could most drive trust for a brand, for a client's brand, and then did a big piece of work uh, to try and unpick you know, what was driving trust in various channels. Um, and one of the biggest insights was that you know, trust is really complex and it's, it's about context for people. Um, and they, they found out that actually relevancy and meaning was one of the biggest drivers of how people perceive trust for their brands. Um, and magazines are particularly good at that. So it doesn't mean that other channels, and social media particularly was investigated uh, in this piece of work, can't drive trust. But reputation, fame was the element of trust that social media most, most drove, whereas relevancy and meaning was what magazines can drive. Now, the other thing that was really interesting is that they... Um, they found out in their internal investigations that they, there's more briefs coming into that into their agency, it was Mediacom North, uh, than previously where clients are asking the comms challenge to incorporate uh, an, an element of increasing the trust for their brand. So I guess if you, if you draw back from it and think about what does Endelman tell us every year when they do their big global trust survey, they've been telling us for a few years that trust in everything has been declining, in media, in business, in government, in institutions and NGOs. This year, interestingly, there was a bounce back on the Endelman survey for uh, traditional media for journalism, which I think we all know why we think about the big macro challenges. Um, but it's interesting that also within the context of Mediacom's briefs, they are getting more briefs from clients and from brands that ask uh, them to think about the comms challenge of rebuilding or establishing greater trust with their consumers. So it's, it's all around and prevalent at every level, I think, this, this trust debate. Um, so it's important to continue to understand it, I think, which is why pieces of work like the Mediacom piece and you know, other, other work that I've seen other channels do is really important. Claire, uh, a last word for you. How do you see all this? Because when you, it was interesting talk, when hearing your conversation with Chukwu Munna, obviously issues around trust and regulation came up quite a lot, whether it was the tech giants or just politicians. Um, how do you see the swing back, uh, if there is one, on, on trust uh, through the eyes of a journalist? Um, in terms of, uh, 
how it relates to actually our industry, I think it's one of those other reasons for us to stand really tall and proud. Um, we, one of the things that came up really early in the day was um, how in this world of com the business model changing from, from an advertiser-funded business model to a, a commerce business model where um, your, your readers have now become customers in a much broader sense, what really is the role of content in that? Are you just basically collecting people into one place so you can sell them stuff? And resoundingly, everybody who is pursuing that new type of business model still felt content, I mean, it's a cliche, but content is still king. And that's a really important thing to remember because quality content is absolutely grounded in the understanding and intuition that content creators have for their audience and the trust that the audience have in the delivery um, of, of that quality from, from that editorial team of people whom they they buy into week in, week out, month in, month out, minute in, minute out now. Um, and I think that is a real moment for us to just go, go forward with real confidence and not be distracted by all the mess around fake news and lack of trust, brand trust that's happening in the rest of the market. This is our moment to push forward. So it, it was a it was a strong rallying cry that's that's echoed throughout the day. Great. Well, it's a good note to end on. So I'm going to say thanks to Douglas, Sue and Claire and Georgie from Campaigners uh, recorded this. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.